University Medical Center has the largest team of neurosurgeons in El Paso specializing in back and neck pain. Relief awaits you. Call today for an appointment at UMC. We care for El Paso. Call 915-521-7731. The The dead woman left among the scrub brush in the southern New Mexico desert had been reported missing days earlier from her home in El Paso, Texas, 30 miles away. We don't know who could have that kind of hate or who could have that kind of anger. Police had an answer to that question. They said the woman had been killed by her own son. Why'd you turn yourself in? I have nothing to hide from. But detectives believed he had plenty of secrets. Secrets that were tearing a family apart. Your statement has a shitload of holes in it, yet you cannot explain a lot of that stuff. The murder of Gloria Marmolejo in this episode of Borderland Crimes, brought to you by KVIA ABC7 and sponsored by University Medical Center of El Paso. It's the summer of 2009. And Gloria Marmolejo was days away from turning 54. The divorcee and young grandmother had recently retired from a career in the Texas Workforce Commission. She now had time to entertain grandchildren and travel to visit friends and family. In fact, Gloria took an opportunity to live in Arizona and be closer to one of her two sons, Manny, and his family. But after three months there, she felt the urge to return home to El Paso. On the morning of Saturday, July 25th, three days before her birthday, she packed up her car, kissed her son and grandson farewell, and said she'd be in touch. She also called her mom in El Paso to let her know she was about to embark on the six-hour drive back to the Sun City. That evening, Gloria told her family she made it home safely, and even promised her mom she'd stop by her house for coffee the following morning. But on Sunday, July 26th, Gloria didn't show. She didn't call to say she was running late. She also didn't call Manny to check in on him and his family. Nor did she call her brothers in El Paso to solidify birthday celebration plans. Her family filed a missing persons report with police. She calls us when she goes to the mall. She calls us when she goes to the store. She contacts us every time she takes a move anywhere. Within four days, they also called TV stations to ask for help publicizing her search. Her brother, Mark Huerta, mounted a full campaign. We've passed out hundreds of thousands of flyers in El Paso. The picture they selected for the missing person flyer was all over the local news. Gloria appeared to be sitting for a professional photo, likely for business cards to be used as part of her new endeavor in real estate. Gloria's jet black hair was bobbed well above the white collar of her button-down blouse and black blazer and was swept to the right of her forehead above her dark brown eyes. Her gentle smile gave off a sense of warmth. But the trail that led to Gloria was growing cold with each passing day. Police got a break in the case when they found Gloria's car, The detective handling the case called other detectives for help. Detective Ray Sanchez answered the phone. We went out to the scene of of the car, where the car was found, which uh, he had found it near um, an elementary school. Uh, I believe it's called O'Shea Keller. I mapped how far O'Shea Keller Elementary School is from Gloria's house, and it's less than half a mile away to the south. Gloria could likely see the school if she looked out a window from her two-story house. And her family had told detectives it was possible that she would park her car at the school and walk around the track. Detective Sanchez, who's now retired, peeked into the car. Now we have clear-cut evidence that it's, there's foul play. 
because she's been missing since Saturday. Her car has been located. She's nowhere around, and her purse and her cell phone were in the car. When Sanchez says foul play, at this point, they're still not thinking murdered. His partner, now retired Detective Joe Ochoa, explains. We went into like the actual school and checked to see because they were telling us that she was uh, also involved in physical activity. She was real active. So we thought maybe she walked the uh, park, maybe had a heart attack, maybe passed away there or whatever. So we were trying to eliminate anything that uh, could have happened that we're just not aware of. Those theories led nowhere. So Sanchez and Ochoa turned back to her family for more clues about where she could be. And by talking to Manny, who by this point was so worried he drove down to El Paso from Phoenix, they learned more about why Gloria came back home. She had uh, driven down here uh, to be with uh, her mom and her son, David. And uh, she just came and showed up and nobody's seen her since. Her son, David, the main reason she came back to El Paso. Once they learn that bit of information, Ochoa meets with 29-year-old David Marmolejo for the first time. He uh, said that he was living uh, at his mom's house and that she was living in Arizona. She decides to come in on the 25th of July. Uh, he does not know this. So Manny knew that Gloria was going back to El Paso, but David, the son who was living in Gloria's house, did not. That seemed odd to me, but at the time, detectives said that detail didn't necessarily stick out, but it certainly became relevant. David told Detective Ochoa on Saturday, July 25th, he was at the Carmike movie theater in Northeast El Paso with some friends when at approximately 5.15 p.m., his mom called his cell phone. He says, I'm at the house. Uh, I can't go into my bedroom. Can you come home and unlock it? He left the, the movie theater, uh, left his friends there, and drove down to the east side to the Sonoma address, met with her, helped her unload some stuff. Uh, they hugged and kissed, and he went back to his friends. Uh, that's basically the story. According to David, that was the last time he saw his mother. And it came after an unexpected phone call announcing a surprise visit in which David was asked to drive nearly 20 miles across town during a movie to fulfill an unusual request. I've made that drive plenty of times, and I can tell you, from the theater to that part of the east side would take 25 minutes on a good night, so that David was able to get to the east side, catch up with his mom, and get back in time to still watch the movie and treat Ochoa. And when Ochoa shared David's story with his partner and friend, Detective Sanchez, Sanchez was also skeptical. You haven't seen your mom in three months, you're gonna say hello, give her a kiss, and go back to your friends? Maybe some people would do that, but the normal person, I think, would hang out with mom and how you been, mom, what you been doing. But he made it sound like I talked to her real quick and I left. Another odd thing? As detectives, you kind of pay attention to what a person is saying, especially when we have a missing person that, you know, there's suspicious circumstances. Ochoa noticed that David was referring to his mother in past tense. Detective Sanchez began pulling David's phone records to corroborate David's timeline. Despite both Sanchez and Ochoa feeling uneasy about his story, they didn't want to rush to any conclusions because the implications were really just too awful. But as they were waiting for that information to come in, David's brother Manny reached out to the detectives. Something's not right. Uh, what David's telling us doesn't make sense. Uh, he was basically the last person that saw her. And he didn't seem, not necessarily, he was, he was worried, but not to the extreme that the rest of the family was. He was just kind of very nonchalant uh, and wasn't uh, uh, like they were, you know, worried, concerned. They were the ones that had to reach out to him and say, what else did she say? What was she wearing? Uh, was she gonna go meet somebody? Was she upset? Was she, what was her demeanor? 
all of these questions they had to ask. They, he never came forward uh, and they thought something was not right. Manny wasn't simply basing his opinion on David's reaction to Gloria's disappearance. Manny also told detectives a detail only a family member would know. Mom and David had a feud going on um, because there was a, uh, she suspected that, or the whole family suspected that he was in a relationship with his stepsister, mm. a romantic relationship. Before I detail this controversial relationship, let's review the chronological order of events so you can hear just how quickly everything was unfolding. Gloria told Manny she was leaving to pay a surprise visit to David in El Paso on Saturday, July 25th. Manny called David on Monday, July 27th, only to learn that David hadn't seen Gloria since the day she arrived, prompting Manny to file a missing person report. Two days later, Wednesday, Gloria's car is found. Thursday, Manny approached the detectives with those bombshell revelations about David, his demeanor, and his controversial relationships. And the following day, Friday, July 31st, two big things happen almost at the same time. The cell phone company emailed Detective Sanchez David's phone records, and the Doniana County Sheriff's Office in New Mexico called El Paso police about a discovery in Santa Teresa, New Mexico, near West El Paso. Someone came across a woman's body in the desert. We're not sure if it was her at that time. We, we suspected it might be. Detective Ochoa headed out to the Texas-New Mexico border. It's a 40 to 45 minute drive from Gloria's house. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that it's not uncommon for crimes and the people who commit them here in the borderland to cross borders or state lines. But at this point, the detectives aren't sure if the body is that of Gloria Marmolejo. When Ochoa arrived, the scene was crawling with law enforcement and local news reporters who had been following Gloria's disappearance. In the middle of the New Mexico desert, past bushes, behind a school, someone walking by spotted a body. It is a female appears to be possibly the same age frame of our missing woman from El Paso. Detective Ochoa described what he saw. You know, you're talking about a, a woman that was well-respected. You're talking about a woman that was cared for. Uh, and when you see this person, uh, it, it was very obvious that she was dragged to the final resting point that she was in. And then to also notice he ha she had a uh, white plastic bag over her, her head. We've been in the business, we did it for almost 20 years, and uh, to think that somebody would do that, uh, it's just not right. It had been nearly six days since Gloria had gone missing, and it was not easy to immediately identify who this woman was. Detective Ochoa called Manny to ask if his mom had any identifying marks. He says, look, my mom had really bad uh, arthritis and uh, her ankle is, uh, there's some scars because she had some surgery done. We literally took her sock off. She had uh, one tennis shoe on, uh, she was missing the other, and uh, we took the sock off and we found the scars. The missing person case was resolved in a way no one wanted. Gloria Marmolejo was dead. An autopsy revealed that she had died from strangulation. There were no signs of abuse or assault of any kind, but also no clear indication of the weapon used or, of course, who was responsible. Less than a week later, on August 5, 2009, Gloria's family organized a news conference in the backyard of her home. Manny, his brother David, and his uncle Mark all wore black shirts and sunglasses. The glasses shielded their eyes from the sun, but also kept cameras from seeing how distressed they were that day. Under a sweltering August sun, his forehead shiny with sweat and his voice choked with tears, her son Manny read a statement to the reporters. My mom was an angel here on earth, and we believe she will continue to be one in heaven. 
In the video, David looked away as his brother described their mother. My mom's belief in Christ has convinced us that she is indeed in heaven, smiling down upon us. My mom is the most loving person that you will ever meet and probably looked her killers in the eyes and forgave them. Their uncle Mark had the final word. We don't know who could have that kind of hate or who could have that kind of anger. As her family wondered who could be responsible, police already had a strong suspicion. And they were talking to the woman who helped cover up the murder. And I was like, well, what's going on? He was like, well, I had to do what I had to do. That's next on this episode of Borderland Crimes. August 8, 2009, Gloria Marmolejo was laid to rest. Her family and loved ones addressed the mourners who filled the church. I want to thank everyone who had an effort in uh, helping us look for her when she was missing, and everyone who prayed for us when they found her. No one openly addressed that police had not made an arrest in the case, but that didn't mean detectives weren't zeroing in on a suspect. A major piece of evidence was making David Marmolejo the likely culprit, his phone records. Remember, Detective Sanchez had received them in an email minutes after his fellow detectives got word about a body discovered in the desert. He stayed behind at the office to begin reviewing and to verify or refute David's account of his last phone call with his mom. I started looking at the records one by one. I started from Saturday when he claims mom called him to come open the door uh, to the bedroom. So I start mapping the records. I, I look at the date, the time, the duration of the call, who he called or who called him, because each call is, is, is listed by you know, in chronological order. And at the end, what I do is I map the tower that it used with a latitude-longitude. And that tells me which tower that phone call connected to. There's the call at 5.14 p.m. from Gloria to David on July 25th. Another call from Gloria to David, same day, at 5.40 p.m. The calls from Gloria's phone pinged off a tower on the east side and connected to David's phone the first via a tower in the northeast, the second a tower on the east side. Later that evening, his phone was traced back to the northeast where he returned to meet friends, then back again on the east side where he lived. But then, Detective Sanchez noticed something different. I come across this one phone call already on the 26th, uh, after midnight at 1.37 in the morning. 1.37 a.m. As I go to map the location of the tower, I realize that I don't have that location. I don't have that tower on my list. So I do it again, and I still don't get a tower. He talked to the analyst at the cell phone company to try to find out where that tower is. And she says, can I ask you a question? Are you anywhere near the city of Anthony, New Mexico? I said, we're very close. Why do you ask? Well, because that tower's in New Mexico for that call. So I said, okay. And right then I knew. 
Sanchez knew that the town of Anthony, a small rural farming community, is about 13 miles north of Santa Teresa, where detectives were currently trying to determine if the woman's body found in the desert belonged to Gloria Marmolejo. And he mapped the tower to a location along New Mexico Highway 404. The two-lane road connects US 54 in northeast El Paso to I-10 in northwest El Paso and southern New Mexico. It's more commonly referred to by locals as Anthony Gap. Sanchez called the detectives at the scene. Ask him, answer me a question. Can you see the Anthony Gap from where you're at with the body? And he says, yeah. Right then and there, I knew we had stumbled on something big. David's phone was pinging off a tower about 10 miles from where his mother's body was found. I knew we had placed him at the scene. Now, more work has to be done so we can make sure what we're thinking is going to come out to be true. Part of that work was going back to Gloria's family to get more information about David, his relationship with his mother, and the feud between them over his young love interest. Mariah Wilson wasn't just his girlfriend. She was his stepsister. Mariah's mother was married to David's father. And Mariah was 18, David was 29. The reason I bring up the age difference is because Mariah says when they met, she was 11 years old, meaning David was 22. He became like a male figure, uh, somebody that she looked up to. As time went on, uh, she respected him quite a bit. Uh, she was influenced by him. And then, of course, David is a tall, young person, a somewhat attractive person. And I'm thinking, I don't believe he ever came across to her as a brother. It was more like a friend, more like a, uh, a person that's with her, uh, not together as siblings. And I think that's where she became more maybe attracted to him. And that's where the, the relationship started. Let me give you some context about that relationship. Mariah told police that she and David became intimate when she was 14, so David was 25. At the time, he was also married to a woman he had met while she was in middle school, and they had three young children with a fourth on the way. News reports from 12 years ago honed in on the taboo of David and Mariah's relationship, but focused more on the scandal surrounding their familial ties. Not much attention was paid to the fact that David, an adult, was sexually linked to an underage girl. Now an adult herself, Mariah was clearly attached to her boyfriend and stepbrother when police approached her to find out what she knew about David's encounter with his mom. Detective Ochoa told me she was unlike anyone he's ever had to question. She was never nervous. She was very nonchalant. She didn't necessarily ever ask questions. She just basically went along with everything. So whenever we would ask her difficult questions, it was easy for her to respond with a lie. Even as much as we pressed, and trust me, we're going to get it out of you. I couldn't. It was weird. It was amazing. Ochoa told me at a certain point in the investigation process, he isn't asking questions because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking to verify the details he already knows. And everything she was telling us, somehow or the other, it was disproven. It was not accurate. Detective Ochoa said he had to interrogate her multiple times about what she and David were doing that night Gloria was last seen alive. On August 1st, the day after Gloria's body was found, they arrested Mariah and charged her with giving a false statement to police. You basically failed to be honest with us, okay, the first time. And I'd like for you to tell us what it is that since then you provided to us concerning the discrepancies that you did not tell us from the get-go. This recorded interview is the third time detectives talked to Mariah, the third time in three days. But as you're going to hear for yourself, it's the first time they're getting these details about what happened the night David left Mariah at a movie theater to help his mom. You said that he left the movies and came back 
within an hour. Is that correct? Until this question, Mariah had been unmoving, hunched forward in her chair, her elbows perched on the edge of the armrests, her fingers laced together. Now, she sat up straight and adjusted the jacket she draped over her bare legs in an effort to keep warm in the cold interrogation room. Yes. Is that true? No. How much time was he gone? I would say like two and a half hours. Okay. And he told you to say he was gone an hour? Did he, did he tell you to say that? Mariah turned to the other detective. She paused and looked at the ceiling when she answered. Basically, yes. You told him to tell us? Yes. Mariah told detectives while he was gone, she texted him. What did you ask him? I believe I asked him what was going on or where he was. What did he reply? Um, the first reply was... Mariah rubbed her hand over her forehead. Taking care of something, taking care of, he said something along the lines of he was taking care of something. Did you ask him, did you say what, what, or? Yeah, and then I was like, well, what's going on? He was like, well, I had to do what I had to do. Okay. And at the time that didn't seem suspicious to you, or did it? Yeah. Why? Because you don't just say something like that. I had to do what I had to do is not a normal thing to say. But what did you think he had done? I, at that point, I thought he had done something that he shouldn't have done. Like what? Something maybe possibly to his mother. Detectives also needed Mariah to explain why there were multiple phone calls between her and David after 5 a.m. on July 26th. The cell phone records contradicted the stories both she and David had told police that they had arrived at his house early that Sunday morning and slept until 10 or 11 a.m. What, what, what are these phone calls about? Well, the first one I just ignored because you were sleeping just in our phone calls. Oh. And then the ones after that were accused. I was like, well, I noticed the same, so I answered and I was like, well, where are you? And he would tell me, so I don't know, I did a lot, you know. And then he called that several more times, same thing. Um, I started accusing him that he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing, like, with another girl. So he was not there at the house? No. So your first your first two statements are incorrect? Yes. Okay. Mariah, David's girlfriend, is directly contradicting David's story that he was at his house with her all night. But detectives aren't finished. They wanted to find out about that 1.37 a.m. phone call that David made, the one that pinged off a tower close to where Gloria's body was found. Listen to what she told detectives. Did you go with him anywhere out on the west side? No. Do you know why he went out on the west side? Now I do. Mariah seemed to smile. Her eyes widened and she began bobbing her head and making a hand gesture toward Ochoa like she's prompting him to say what she's thinking. You suspect that? Yes. You suspect what to say? That I suspect that he was putting her there. Her body? Yes. Because since then, you've learned, we've talked, we've told you, yes. not only us, but also the news, that her body was found out on the west side. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Do you believe he killed her? Yes. But Mariah denied helping David murder his mother. She also denied moving Gloria's body to the desert and cleaning the scene. Her only involvement, she claimed, was lying to detectives. Turns out, that wasn't the whole truth. Detective Ochoa went back to Mariah several more times to get more details. But by this point, he could tell she was lying, covering up the truth to protect David and herself. She did mention to us that she was afraid of potentially ended up in prison. She thought, I'm going to end up in prison if I tell you what I know. So we went, sat with the district attorney, uh, and he was able to uh, write out a contract for her. Community. 
The detectives took Mariah to the district attorney, the prosecutor for El Paso, and they explained to her that if she told them what she knew, they wouldn't charge her with tampering with evidence. Hours of explaining how immunity from prosecution worked still didn't seem to ease her mind. Ochoa was about to give up on getting anything out of Mariah. We were leaving the district attorney's office and we're about to get into an elevator and she broke down. And she says, I know David knows I'm here because I haven't been able to respond to his phone calls because I'm here. And I know that my neighbor probably already told him that the police took me. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's up. At that point, she broke down and told us everything. Here's what Mariah says happened the night of July 25th. David's mom called him at 5.14 p.m. while they were at the movies with friends. She said he was gone so long, they all had to leave the theater in one car, and they went to a barbecue at a friend's house in the Northeast. David met her there three and a half hours later. As they drove back to his place, David told Mariah that he killed his mother. Ochoa recounts Mariah's story. She originally said, I don't believe you. Uh, that she walked in, uh, made it to the master bedroom, uh, didn't see anything, thought he's joking. And then he said, well, look in the bathroom. And she was in the bathroom. Apparently, he uh, grabbed her, uh, strangled her. And at one point, she ended up on the bathroom floor, face down. Uh, he told her that he used his belt, tied her around her neck, uh, and pulled on her as she's face down on the uh, on the bathroom floor. Mariah verified what they'd been hearing from Gloria's family, that Gloria didn't like that David and Mariah were together. Mariah said David told her his mother was upset to find Mariah's belongings in the master bedroom and that Gloria threatened to evict him. The whole time David is telling her this, Mariah is frozen with fear. He wasn't gonna allow anyone including his mom, to uh, have a problem with his relationship with her. She was scared. She didn't know what to do. But she realized, if I do something other than follow his lead, I'm going to end up dead. Mariah told detectives David asked her to help him put his mother's body in his car, and they started driving. She said she didn't know where they were, only that they ended up on the west side of the Franklin Mountains. Then she told detectives, David got on the phone and called his ex-girlfriend and the mother of one of his children in Hawaii. He's calling her at 1.37 in the morning and uh, just asking, what is she doing? And she says, I'm very upset because I'm sitting in the car. His mom is in the trunk of the car and he's dialing up baby mama. So I don't know what to think, but I'm, I'm furious because why is he doing this? Why is he calling? And he's calling her as if though, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? How's everything going? So on and so forth, almost like, like a macho, like, Look at what I'm capable of. Look at what I've done. And she was just speechless. And her number one thing was that she didn't want to say anything or do anything because she knew it would upset him. David eventually hung up and told Mariah they were going to the desert. They ended up on a sandy road. It was pitch black. When they parked, he got out of the car and she did the same, still unsure of what was going to happen. She watched him walk to the back of the car and pop the trunk. Something you should know about David. In 2007, while living in Hawaii for work, he was in a motorcycle accident. The crash was so severe, he lost his leg. He uses a prosthetic device so he can walk without assistance, but he does have a limp. I think that detail is significant when Mariah described to police how David managed to get his mother's body to the spot where he left her. So she described him as grabbing her and dragging her, and, but he wasn't standing. 
he was kind of leaning back so he would drag her feet at a time so that he would set himself drag set himself drag Mariah said he told her to drive so he could sit in the trunk and sweep away the tire tracks with a piece of cardboard. And as they headed back to the east side, he'd order her to toss items that belonged to Gloria out the window. Did you think even when she was telling you what she knew, that she had more to do with it? Yes. And how do you reconcile that? She wasn't offered immunity for the murder. She was, it was made clear that if we find out that you were involved in the murder, you can be charged. The immunity was not for murder. None of the facts that we found ever came to the point where she, we felt she was actually involved in the actual incident of killing Miss Mamale. Mariah's account of what happened to Gloria left no doubt in the detective's eyes that David was the killer. Now they need to talk to him, but they'd have to find him first. In fact, he did. We had people uh, set up at different uh, locations where we thought he would be uh, hiding out at. David didn't go far. He was with a family member who worked with the police department, and he turned himself in on September 4th. News crews were waiting when he was arrested. Why'd you turn yourself in? Because I have nothing to hide from. But at this point, police think he does have something to hide about his last interaction with his mother. You were the last person that saw her? If you may, so that we can make sure that we're on the same same boat here, because I've got your statement, I've, re- I've read it, I've looked through it, and I just want to make sure... You know, you stand by it. You've told me before that's that's exactly what happened. Let's just go through that day, okay? David's account of what happened is next. University Medical Center has the largest team of neurosurgeons in El Paso specializing in back and neck pain. Relief awaits you. Call today for an appointment at UMC. We care for El Paso. Call 915-521-7731. Gloria Marmolejo's body was found July 31st, nearly a week after she arrived in El Paso. It was a surprise trip to confront her son, 29-year-old David, and to see whether his girlfriend and stepsister, 18-year-old Mariah Wilson, was living at her house with David. David was the last person she called. David was the last person who saw her alive. David's phone records placed him near the area where Gloria's body was found. And after days of questioning, Mariah told detectives David admitted to killing his mom, and Mariah was forced to help him cover up the crime. After he turned himself into police September 4, 2009, Detective Joe Ochoa sat down in police headquarters to talk to David, who sat across from him, handcuffed to a chair. You've been charged with murder, okay? This is the beginning of the three-hour-long video recording. The detectives spend part of it asking David to retell his final interaction with his mom. But much of it, Detective Ochoa is pressing David to clear up the inconsistent or seemingly impossible details. Ochoa brought up the first problem he had with David's story. And I wanted to include this part because of how David referred to his mom. You showed me your phone. And I remember because on your phone it said Dr. Evil. Yeah, Dr. Evil. 
David said he called his mom Dr. Evil, like the villain from the Austin Powers movies, because she put a pinky to the corner of her mouth, the character's signature hand gesture. Look, my, the last time my mom called me, right. and you showed it to me, and it says here in your statement that my mom called me, and it was at 5.40 p.m. Ochoa reminds David that he had first heard from his mom at 5.14, asking him to go to her house, and that by the time she called again at 5.40, he claimed to have already left his mom's house. If you do the math there, from 5.14 p.m. to 5.40 p.m., what do you, what do you come up with? Are you pretty good with math? Yeah, that's not very much time. How much time is it? It's under 30 minutes. Yes, it is. Under 30 minutes, safe to say. Yes, sir. There's a problem there, David. Yes, sir, I see that. I'm not telling you it's impossible, but it's very difficult to believe. Remember, on a clear night, it can be a 25-minute drive one way from the theater to the house. That's inaccurate, David. Something's wrong there. Okay, something's very wrong there. Something's very inaccurate there. Yes, sir. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, well, I know she called me then. David got defensive. You guys can just eat me up all you want and say you're full of shit, whatever. She did call, and she did. I, I specifically remember now. She said, "Are you coming? She or are you close or something like that?" So now the story's changed. No, the story's not changed. It sure has. Okay, the story has changed. If you had that evidence, that then I say can fucking change it. You know what I mean? I didn't do anything. I know I didn't do anything. Ochoa next wanted David to admit to dumping his mother's body in the desert using the 1.37 a.m. phone call to his ex-girlfriend in Hawaii that pinged off a tower close to where Gloria's body was found. Your phone records indicate that you called Akasha at 1.37 in the morning. Okay. I don't think so. Yes. That's what your phone records okay. okay. I don't remember calling her. I, did not, I, don't, I don't believe I called her. I wouldn't have called her. Okay. Akasha spoke to me. I called her and I asked her. I said, you know what? On this day, your David's phone records indicate that he may have placed a call to you. Mm-hmm. And he t- she tells me, I remember the phone call. In fact, it surprised me because it was late his time. You don't remember this phone call, correct? I, I call her all the time at 9.30, but I don't recall calling her that night. And I know I wouldn't call her because Mariah was with me, and I know Mariah was in this. Then who called this number? I don't know. I didn't call her. So he went from definitely not calling her to calling her all the time at that time of night. But if he did, why would it stick out to Akasha as unusual? The location, the address for this phone connected to the tower when you made, or at least when that phone made the call to Akasha in Hawaii, it's close or within proximity of where your mother was found. Hmm. Exactly. This entire time, David maintained a flat affect. No change in his demeanor when the detective practically accused him of dumping his mother's body in the desert. Listen to David's response. Oh, I, I don't know. In fact, I wasn't there. Then who was David? I don't know. My phone was plugged in. I was laying down in bed. Their exchange about this single point lasts well over 10 minutes. And this is where Ochoa and another detective seem to lose their patience. You're okay with that? I mean, it doesn't make us... It, you, you don't remember that. Is that selective memory? Is that what's going on? Or what's what's happening? What, what is it? You remember the phone call at 1229 when this gal asked you guys to go party with her, but you don't remember an hour later this phone call to Akasha, your ex, the mother of your one of your kids. Correct. You don't remember. You don't remember that phone call. No, sir. I'll tell you why you don't remember. Because you fully realize that that puts you in the location where your mom's found. No? Isn't that weird? I mean, it's not over there in Fabens. It's not in Clint. It's not in anywhere else else on the east side. It's on the west side. Okay. But okay, what? I don't know what to tell you about that. A normal yeah. person would think you're out there, right? I don't. Yeah, a normal, I mean, normal? Are, yeah. you, are you a normal person? I'm a normal 
person. Then there was, it looks like you're up there, yes, right? Yes, sir. Going yeah. by what that says, yes, yeah. sir. I, Which I can't is, argue that. I can't. No matter what I say, I can't argue. I mean, it's there on paper. I, all I can tell you is I wasn't out there. I didn't take my phone out there. I didn't go call anybody from there. I was Detective Ochoa gives up trying to get David to admit he made the call. Now, he asked David to explain the multiple calls between him and Mariah over nearly an hour, starting at 5 the following morning, when they were allegedly asleep in the same room. I'm going to let this play out because David's response is nothing short of laughable. The only thing I think of is she rolled over on it. Yeah, who rolled over on it? So you're saying that she rolled over on your phone? And then answered her phone? Yeah, talked for an hour. And then talked for a minute and she talked to herself? A minute. A minute and 25, that's what it says here. Okay. Okay? I'm not saying she, I'm not saying she, it's five in the morning, nobody's awake. Okay, all right, all right, okay. At 5.42 in the morning, there's another call mm-hmm. from your phone to her phone. And this one here is three minutes and seven seconds. Okay. Is she rolling? I mean, what's going on here? Is she, is she like tumbling on the floor? <laughs> I don't think so, sir. No, sir. What's going on here, David? Explain that one. I can't explain it. There's four calls, David, between 5.30 and 6 a.m. from your phone to her phone, to Mariah. Why in the world would you call the person that's laying next to you that night when you claim that you're asleep Mm -hmm. and not accidentally roll over on it? You call and there's minutes. One in particular here is three minutes and eight seconds. Okay. Okay? I, I don't know what to, I can't explain it. The only logical explanation, according to David, is that Mariah rolled over his phone and called herself. I've never disrespected you, David. Yeah, now I'm you think trying, I'm stupid I'm for thinking no, this. Yes, I'm you not, are. I've yes, you are. You stupid not one time. You're referring to it. No, sir, I'm not. You're please, insinuating please it because... Don't make me... Please don't put words Then please don't play that game because I'm telling you that four calls... I, I apologize for one second. Okay. The only thing that I am saying that, that you are wrong on and you are stupid on is accusing me of this when you're not looking for someone else. And that's perfectly, you answer no, that. No, I think I'm looking at the right person. I know, you told me that. I think I am, and I'm going to tell you this. The stuff that you're saying right now, David, makes no sense. Okay. Okay. You know what, we wait for a jury to decide. Okay, fine. Let's stop the game, David, because you know what? Your family knows this. That's fine. And your family... Like any other person that's outside the box looking in is thinking... Ochoa pointed at David. Right there. That's what the problem is. And you're sitting there with a smirk on your face. And that's because you fully realize that this is a strong indicator, an absolute strong indicator, a huge arrow that's pointing at you as the person that went and did what happened with your mom. No, it does not. It doesn't? It does not? No, it does not. You've given me a statement. I have nothing against you. I have no knowledge of you. I don't yeah. know you. But you're the person that comes in here. My mom, my mom, she's missing. Okay, sir, let me help you. Tell me what happened. Now, this is saying, no, that's not what happened. Um, that's not what happened. That's not saying anything. It's not, it's not saying to you, but it is saying a lot to us. And it's going to say a ton to the rest of your family when they sit there and they listen to this happening. Don't put your family through this, David. Finally, David showed emotion and looked disgusted. Give them some closure. Family through this. Me? You know what you're doing to my family? You guys are sitting here. Don't turn this on me, son. Don't okay. turn this on All me. Right. You not, understand I, that? I, I'm not going to argue with you. It because I can point. tell everything that you're doing right now, you fully realize that your story is crap. Okay. It is. Because even your own girlfriend is saying you're not home at 5.30 when those calls are made. David continued to lash out at detectives. If that's really all you guys have, this is ridiculous. Like you got me on a murder warrant for a fucking phone call. I, please excuse my cousin, and I've, I've never wanted a to fucking phone call that you cannot explain. That's when we get you convicted, David. Okay, then it's gonna get me convicted. But I know I'm innocent, and my mother's sitting with me. And, and you're gonna lose your family because you, have, you, you haven't I'm told them yet what happened, and that's what they want to hear. The detectives remind David about his tight-knit family that came together to search for his mother. Instead, David bemoaned his situation. 
nobody wants to be accused of killing their mother. Nobody wants to have go of to trial. No, of course not. But you know the funny and thing. Here is, I am, and my picture came out on the news, and I fucking broke down because I could, I'll never be able to live. I don't know if you guys understand this or realize. Just a second, let me just say this one thing, please, without interruption. I don't know if you folks realize this. Like you guys, my face has been on, on the news. My face, you know, wanted for this murder or, or what have you. When we go to court, when we go to trial, and whatever happens there, and my mother helps me because I know she's going to, and 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 you guys, or, or if you guys happen to stumble across some other evidence a week from now, a month from now, whatever it is, and, you, and it points to somewhere else, you guys realize I'll never be able to live here again where my mother's buried? Like, I'll never be able to walk down the street without everybody pointing at me saying, Look, that motherfucker got away with it. I'll, everyone's going to look at me like O.J. Simpson. Like, this is hard as fuck. If I did something, I would say, you know what? I would have ended my life. And you, I've been suicidal before. I've tried to kill myself. I've, I explained it. I don't know. Did I tell you that I tried to kill myself? Yes, you did. And if it was something like this, I would have ended my <laughs> life. No bullshit, no nothing. I'd be dead right now. And I would not be able to live with this on my conscience because... Whatever my exterior looks like, the interior, my inside is not this. This diatribe came more than an hour into the interview. And by this point, it's clear Ochoa was done. I believe that you're lying. There's no reason to lie. There's absolutely no reason to come up with such bullshit stories when you know fully well that your mom is missing. Nobody in their right mind when a loved one is missing, such as a mom, would lie. Nobody. You don't want a man out. You did what you did. It's over, David. It's over. Man up. David never changed his story. He wasn't going to tell us anything else. Uh, we did offer him that opportunity, and he did it. He told us that he basically had already told us uh, everything that needed to be told, and, and, and we went from there. Now, it was time to prepare for a trial. David Marmolejo's murder trial began in October 2010, more than a year after Gloria Marmolejo was killed. I remember there were people turning out from the public. There were county workers showing up to the courtroom. They had to designate a special place for reporters covering the trial. It was standing room only. And if you didn't get there hours before the day's proceeding started, you're basically out of luck. That's the voice of former KVIA ABC7 reporter Marissa Monroy. She was assigned to cover the trial, which lasted two weeks. The six defendants that took the stand today included family members, police officers, and the woman who discovered Gloria Marmolejo's body in the desert. And it was those pictures that brought David Marmolejo to tears. The picture showed Gloria Marmolejo face down, a white plastic bag wrapped around her head. David Marmolejo didn't look at the pictures, but he did start crying wiping his eyes and holding his head in his hands. Marissa now lives in Austin. I reached out to her to get her perspective on what was happening in the courtroom since news cameras were not allowed inside. The trial was really, really hard. The victim's family was the same as the defendant's. For that family, having to sit through all of these terrible details of the murder of this woman, the rock of their family, you know, the murder of this woman by, by her son, someone else they all cared about. It would tear anyone apart. David and Gloria's family testified, including David's grandmother, Gloria's mom. They explained how Gloria felt about her son's relationship with Mariah and why she was returning to El Paso that day in July 2009. Akasha Lu, David's ex-girlfriend in Hawaii, also took the stand saying how David's call late on July 25th came out of the blue and how unusual he sounded. The jury also watched David's interview with police, but much of the prosecution's case relied on its star witness, Mariah Wilson, David's stepsister and girlfriend who was now 19 years old. By the time she took the stand, 
her version of the facts had changed from the recorded statement I played for you earlier. And she had also gotten a lot of attention for videos she posted on YouTube in which she'd talk about her relationship with David. If anybody ever, ever messes with me, I'll mess with them back. He's actually done it before. So, I'll mess with him or me. You could hear a pin drop the entire time she was testifying. Here's Marissa's report from the day Mariah took the stand. At times, the jury could barely hear Mariah Wilson carefully detail everything that happened that night. But then she'd raise her voice and passionately deny she had anything to do with Gloria Marmalejo's murder. A soft-spoken Mariah Wilson couldn't hold back tears or keep her voice from breaking as she replayed every hour of the night she says David Marmalejo admitted he murdered his mother. She says it began with a fight about her belongings being in Gloria Marmalejo's home. Wilson said, quote, they started arguing. He punched her in the back of the head. She hit her head on the door as she fell. He blacked out, and when he woke up, he had a belt around her neck and one foot on her back, and he kept pulling and pulling and pulling. Wilson says Marmalejo tried to cover up the murder several ways that night, including smoking a cigar around the house to get the smell out, pouring mustard on top of bloodstains on the carpet, grabbing one of Gloria's sneakers and smacking her on her back after she was already dead, just to, quote, throw them off of his own footprints, and using a cardboard box to fan the tire trails left behind by his car in the desert. Mariah testified that she got tired of lying, and eight months after Gloria was killed, she told police the truth. The defense attorney said in his opening statement and to Mariah herself during cross-examination, he didn't think the El Paso Police Department looked closely enough at Mariah as a suspect, showing photos to the jury that police took of her hands. She had a cut on her finger. The defense attorney said it could have been caused by a ligature used in strangulation. Remember, I asked detectives about whether they suspected Mariah and they told me they didn't find any evidence showing she played a role in the murder. The jury deliberated for two days and reached out to the judge. On October 17th, nearly two weeks after the trial began, it was over. We, the jury, cannot come to a unanimous decision. We are deadlocked. All but one juror was ready to acquit David. The lone holdout who believed he was guilty forced a mistrial. Whenever they have a witness that they don't believe, uh, somebody that, you know, they don't think is, you know, providing the truth, they, they kind of lean towards something else. I think Mariah Wilson did not make for a credible witness. She admitted lying to police three or four times before she finally told them the truth. And when she was granted immunity in exchange for her testimony, I think that created a lot of uneasiness as well. David returned to his cell in the El Paso County Jail, and everyone prepared for a retrial. But this time, it was scheduled to take place in March 2011 in San Antonio, Texas. The judge agreed with the defense request to change the venue from El Paso due to extensive coverage of the trial in the local news. The same state, but more than 550 miles east. The same prosecutors, same defense attorney, same judge. The glaring differences were the jury and the lack of the star witness from the first trial. The state rested its case without calling Mariah Wilson to the stand. Instead, prosecutors relied heavily on David's phone records that put him in the desert where his mom's body was found. But the defense wanted the jury to know what they weren't hearing. Using pictures of Mariah Wilson's cut-up finger and a piece of twine, defense attorney Greg Anderson told the jury Mariah Wilson was responsible for Gloria Marmalejo's murder and questioned why she never took the witness stand. Anderson said, quote, One person could have cleared up a lot of these issues, Mariah Wilson. You think she would have said, I killed Gloria Marmalejo? She would have been covering for herself. So why didn't the state call her? either because they thought she killed Gloria Marmalejo or they couldn't trust her. This trial took less than half the time as the first one. 
and the jurors took a fraction of the time, three hours as opposed to nearly three days, to make their conclusion known to the court. On March 15, 2011, the judge read the verdict aloud. We, the jury, find the defendant, David Marmolejo, guilty of murder as charged in the indictment. David sat down and buried his head in his hands. After the conviction trial, the prosecution asked David's former love interest to talk about the violence they endured while with him. His estranged wife, Laura, took the stand. They had been together since she was in seventh grade. She got pregnant when she was 15 and David was 17. And Laura said nearly the entire time they were together, he was physically abusive. They separated in 2006, but the violence continued. Laura told police about numerous incidents. Abuse in front of her children, too brutal to share here. But this one bout of violence in 2006, ironically, unfolded in front of Mariah. I remember I had a bracelet, and I remember him grabbing me, ripping the bracelet off, and I tried to run away. He chased me down. He grabbed me, and he punched me in the stomach, and he started punching me in the back of the head. Grabbed me by my hair and pulled me into the car. Mariah's crying, telling him to leave me alone, and he's telling her, you know, shut the fuck up or I'm gonna kick your ass too. So she shut up and didn't say anything. And he's giving me the cell phone, telling me, you know, call my boyfriend at the back, you know, call him and tell him you're, you're not going to go back to him, tell him you're going to be with me, and that you don't want anything to do with him, and that we're going to be one big happy family. He's like, if you don't do it, I'm going to take you to the desert right now, and I'm going to kill your ass. It wasn't long after that, David was sentenced to 54 years in prison, and that was by design. Gloria was 54 years old when she was killed. Before David was escorted out of the courtroom, he was allowed to speak. He took the chance to maintain his innocence. I cannot commit this crime. I don't mind going to prison, but for something I did, I apologize to my family for putting them through this, even though I shouldn't have to apologize for things I didn't do. David's uncle Mark and his brother Manny stood with David when Gloria first went missing. Now it's just Mark and Manny together, remarking on this bittersweet outcome. It hurts. Our family loses again. <clears throat> Obviously. He took my mom, my mom away from me. <laughs> and I know somewhere in the bottom of my heart, I do still feel love for him, but I can't find that right now. We're a strong family. We're going to continue to try to stay together. But, um, and you know, it's, it's not easy to put my nephew and his brother away. Um, but my sister didn't deserve what she got, what happened to her either. This wasn't the last we heard about David Marmolejo. In December of 2016, he was extradited from prison to Phoenix. You see, in 2005 and 2006, David was suspected of raping and beating prostitutes there. But the victims didn't want to participate in the case. Ten years passed until some of them came forward. Law enforcement charged David with nearly 30 counts of sexual assault, assault, and robbery. He pleaded guilty to several counts of sexual assault and attempted sexual assault in August of 2017 and was sentenced to a total of 25 years in prison. But that will be served concurrently or at the same time as the sentence for murder. David is in a Texas prison 40 miles south of Houston. His expected release date is the year 2063, but he'll be eligible for parole in 2036. Even if he is paroled at that time, Arizona prison officials told me David would be sent there to stay in prison until 2041. By then, he will be 61 years old. Looking at this 12-year-old case today, in a time when more attention has been paid to grooming and other predatory behavior of adult men towards underage girls, it's disturbing to see how Mariah was treated by the defense 
and the jury. It doesn't seem that there was much outrage about the fact that David preyed on Mariah. Consider that when they first met as step-siblings, David was 22, married, and he and his wife had three children under the age of 10 and another on the way. Mariah used to play with his kids. Mariah laid out many of these details during the trial. She said that she and David began having a sexual relationship when she was just 14 years old. Um, at some point, I think she testified that he got her pregnant. Um, and she ended up telling her mother that the father of the child was another student on the soccer team. Mariah gave up the baby for adoption. She also admitted to police that David physically abused her. She implied that was why she rarely spoke up or did anything to counter what he wanted, to spare herself from, as she told police, being put in check. I wanted to talk to Mariah about this case for the podcast. She didn't respond, and I understand why. It was a horrific and incredibly painful experience. But I hope to give her a chance to talk about a time in her life when she was painted as a villain, when in reality, she was just another of David's victims. KVIA ABC7's Borderline Crimes is researched, written, produced, and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Our production manager is Chris Swan. Our special projects director is John McMinn. And our news director is Brenda Deanda Swan. Stay tuned. Another episode of Borderline Crimes is coming soon. Thank you.